The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. As we've experienced in this series already, some of the things that Jesus says are really, really difficult to comprehend. And some of them are easy to comprehend and they're hard to apply. And so this morning is a passage and a parable and a story that's not hard to comprehend and uh, I hope we'll be challenged and stretched by it. Luke, I mean, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 1. We're going to make our way through verse 14. Let me pray for us, and then I'm going to preach a message titled RSVP. RSVP. Let me pray. Jesus, we love you. God, thank you for your word. It's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joint and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And so, God, this morning, when we open up your word, we are not asking for another religious experience. We are not asking for another legalistic way to live. God, we are asking you to teach us a new and better way to live. And so, God, as we open up the scriptures, may Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11 and 12 be true. You would divide our hearts. And when we know that you've divided our hearts, all things will be open and bare before the eyes of you with whom we have to live. So God, speak powerfully in the next few minutes. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody at the Colony Theater said, amen. Amen. Hey, I know it's uh, sort of mandatory in our city, especially if you work in the industry, that you have to have a YouTube channel. Anybody got a YouTube channel? Okay. All right. Look at all the actors in the room. Um, And so, like a YouTube is normal and expected in our town. I got a buddy that has a YouTube channel. Um, He's actually a country music singer, uh, African-American guy from Texas who lives in Burbank, and uh, just an unbelievable guy. And so, back last fall, he shot a video that went viral. I think he had like 40, 50 million views, like in the first 48 hours or something like that. And it went ballistic. It was bananas. And so, um, and so what happens was when the video went viral, he started getting phone calls from everywhere, CNN, NBC, CBS. Um, everybody wanted to do an interview with coffee. But there was one call that came in uh, that it was, it was like no other. And uh, it was the White House. And the White House called and said, uh, Coffey, uh, we would love for you to come to the White House and be a part of a little thing we've got going at the White House. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine the White House emailing? I don't know how they correspond. I don't, if they, it may be a scam if, if it's an email. Uh, it may, I don't know how they get in touch with you. It's a phone call, a certified letter. I don't know how, a drone. I don't know how they get in touch with you. But just imagine for a moment, how do you respond when the White House calls? Hey, dude, I want you to come to the White House. Let me tell you how I would respond. I'm going to call my mama. I'm going to call my sister. I'm going to call my cousins who I haven't seen in six years. I'm going to post it on Facebook, Facebook Live, Instagram, Instagram Stories. I'm going to put it on Periscope. I'm going to go back to Vine. I'm going to put it on MySpace. I'm telling everybody, right? But like if the White House invites you to a dinner, right? If the White House invites you to a dinner, are you going to say no? Look, I, some of y'all are like, if, if Donald Trump invited me, I would not go to the White House. Come on. If he invited you on The Apprentice, you wouldn't have said no, right? Not only am I going to say yes, I'm going to say, I'm a, what time do you need me? I'm going to be there, right? Like, if I'm supposed to do your wedding and it conflicts with going to the White House, I love you, but you got to call Craig or Tyler, all right? If your mama died and I'm doing her funeral, we're going to have to kick it back a day, okay? I'm going to the White House if the president calls. And you would too, right? 
But what about when God calls? What about when God rings up your number and your name and he speaks and he makes an invitation? How, how do you respond? How, how do you react to the invitation that Jesus makes to you when he calls your name? Matthew chapter 22 is a parable that Jesus told. And um, I'm having a little trouble here. Matthew chapter 22 is a parable that Jesus told. And it's a story of a king who invites a bunch of guests to a party and a feast that this king has prepared for his son who is getting married. And starting in verse 1, this is not a difficult parable to understand this morning. Um, It's pretty straightforward. It speaks of God's gracious invitation to us when he extends the gospel to us and the different ways that we respond. Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 1. I'm going to take this in sections. I think there's three sections in this parable, and I think they're instructive to us. And I hope somebody in this room, everybody in this room, will take something away from it. Matthew 22, starting in verse 1. These are the red letters. This is what Jesus said, okay? Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Uh, First of all, let's let's be clear here. Whenever you're reading the parables of Jesus, okay, this is not a real story. Am I having trouble here? Is that my fault? Um, When Jesus is telling a parable, this is not a real story, but it it points to a bigger reality, do I need to get the microphone? Um, and, and so let's, it, it's, it's instructive for us to know who God is in the parable that Jesus tells. It's instructive for us to know who we are in the parable that Jesus tells. Okay? So in this parable, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. The king is God. The king is the father. And he was giving a wedding feast for his son. The son is Jesus. Okay? Let's make that clear. The king uh, is preparing for an incredible feast that's unlike any other. And... Uh, and, and so verse 3 says, and he sent out, thank you, hello, check, 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 and it says, whoa, hello, 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 all right, here we go, and verse 3, and he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come, and verse 4, it says, and again, he sent out other messengers saying, tell those who have been invited, behold, I have prepared a dinner. My oxen and my fattened livestock are all butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast, okay? There's three sections here, and I want to break them down. And I believe the first section is a story about a generous and a patient father. The first section here is a story about a generous and a patient father. That's the first storyline we see in the parable that Jesus is telling Now, the the king here has made an invitation to come to this extravagant banquet on behalf of his his sons. He's already sent out invitations. People have already heard. People have already RSVP'd to the banquet. And what the king has prepared is unlike any ordinary potluck or family dinner, it is an extravagant meal to celebrate the son. And when we look at what's going on in the parable and the reality that Jesus is pointing to outside of the story, we understand that the Father is inviting us to something extraordinary when we come to him, when we follow him. And the invitation oftentimes is, is misconstrued. It's, it's, uh, it's misconceived. It's not understood oftentimes what God is inviting us to. If the president invites me to the White House, listen to me. I'm going because I know it's going to be awesome, right? But what about when the Father invites us into an intimate, abiding relationship with him. What's he inviting us to? 
Well, well, essentially what's happening here is when the Father extends a gospel invitation, when, when your heart and your mind understand the gospel, what Jesus is inviting you to is a new and better way to live. What do you mean by that? Like, what are the benefits that Jesus is inviting me to? Like, this banquet here ultimately points to the, to the marriage supper of the Lamb. It points to a time when we will stand before Jesus and we will know who we are before God. But it also points to a time that's that's temporal in the world we live in now. When the gospel is extended to us, what is it that Jesus is actually inviting us into? Um, I think it's often misunderstood, but, but, but we have this normal way of living. And the invitation that God is making to us is something outside of our normal rhythms of life. Like, like we have these extremes that we, that, we, that we vacillate in between in the normal rhythms of life. We vacillate between being self-righteous and unrighteous. We vacillate between uh, being concerned about our own interest and the interest of others. Yet when God invites us into an intimate, abiding fellowship with him, he is inviting us into a new and better way to live. What do you mean? Well, Jesus makes statements like, like, uh, you've heard not to commit adultery. I tell you, don't even lust. Um, he, he's making statements like, like, like you, you've heard what it's, what it's said about how you should treat your enemies, but I'm telling you to love your enemies and go out of your way. Jesus says, you've heard about how to go a mile with, with someone in your life who's asked you to go a mile. I'm telling you not only to go a mile, but to go the second mile. And so Jesus is offering this alternative way of living that most of humanity is accustomed to. And oftentimes we get that confused because we see, we see it as strapping us with our time. We see it as with strapping us with our guilt. And, and, and we don't understand exactly what Jesus is inviting us into. And what Jesus is saying here in this parable is that I'm inviting you into an altogether new and better way to live. And when we read the story that parallels this in Luke chapter 14, Jesus tells a parallel story to it. We understand that, that Jesus has invited a, certain, um, he's invited a certain group of people to the banquet. And then when the certain group of people refuse and he tells his messengers to go out and invite the lame, the crippled, the blind. And, and so when we understand what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, um, like, like initially we look at ourselves and the mission of God and the kingdom of God and what God can get from us. We, we see um, our relationship with God like we see most of our relationships on this earth. Like, like, what do you want from me? Like, I'm a vending machine. How are you going to pull out of me? But God doesn't see you that way. He's not looking to pull something out of you. He's not strapped with guilt after he invites you into a relationship. He's not doing you a favor, looking for you to return the favor. God looks at you as the end in itself, not the means to an end. And so when he's inviting you into this deep abiding relationship, we look at ourselves. We've got all these extremes in life, self-righteous, unrighteous. I care about others. I don't care about others, depending on the day. We seem like the most unlikely suspects. And yet that is the beautiful invitation that God is making to us. We have the makings of a liability to the kingdom of God and the mission of God. And yet in spite of that, he is inviting us into a deep, beautiful, abiding, new way of living. So this is a story about a father who offers you benefits that aren't merited, that aren't warranted, that aren't achieved. This is a story about Jesus offering you a new and better way to live. Now, there's a second storyline here to this parable. When we start in verse 5, but they paid no attention and they went their way. This is the people who had been invited. 
They paid their attention and they went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business. Now, in Luke chapter 14, when Jesus tells this parable, he extends the excuses that people began to make. And one of the excuses is, I got married, I got to tend to my wife. One is, a, is an excuse that I just bought some new farm equipment, I got to go check it out. One excuse is, I just bought a piece of land, and I got to go see it. And so, um, like, this is like modern day LA, man, just something came up, right? <laughs> And then in verse 6, the story kind of takes this weird Alfred Hitchcock turn, okay? So, like, these people have been invited. They've RSVP'd. And all of a sudden, another opportunity came up. Something better emerged. Now, now you've lived in L.A. long enough, even if it's only been a month, to know this sounds way too familiar, right? Now, verse 6, the story turns. Like an Alfred Hitchcock weird turn here. And the rest, meaning the people who had been invited, they seized the mess- messengers and they missed treated them and they killed them. What? Like, wait a minute. Like it was just a wedding, bro. It's just a wedding. It's just an RSVP. Like that's a little bit unnecessary to seize the messengers and kill them. What? But when we look at the bigger picture and the bigger reality that Jesus is pointing to, we see that the bigger story here is that when the gospel is proclaimed, Jesus is pointing to a future time that the messengers of the gospel, those who are offering freedom and forgiveness through the gospel, Jesus is foreshadowing a time that will come when those messengers will be beaten and, and abused. And in fact, we get to Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7, we see the first one who would lose their life for being a messenger of the gospel. And so we have these wedding guests who have a bunch of lame excuses. Now, verse (laughs) 7, but the king was enraged and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Hello. Verse 8, then he said to his messengers, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Verse 9, go therefore to the main highways and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all that they had found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. And so in Luke 14, we we have the instruction from the king who says, go find the crippled, the lame, the blind, those who can't repay anything that I'm offering. You you got any friends that... um, that make lame excuses. You got any friends like that? <laughs> if they're here, don't look at them, right? Um, you got any friends that make, you know what I'm talking about. Like there's a 50% chance when you invite them to something, they're going to cancel, right? And, uh, and sometimes the stakes are a little bit higher. You've already bought the movie ticket. You've already RSVP'd for a certain dinner or worse, whenever you get married or you got married and somebody RSVP'd and you paid $50 or more for their dinner and they didn't show up. You know what I'm talking about? Lame excuses, right? Like we understand this in LA. Man, just something came up, right? We get this. We understand what it means to take advantage of another opportunity. But here's the thing. Oftentimes when we make lame excuses, the person making the lame excuse often doesn't see it as lame, right? We make these mental calculations. This is a good choice. This is a better choice. We weigh some circumstances and situations out, and we justify why we chose something that could have been better for us. And so the second storyline here in this parable is that this is a story about unreasonable excuses. This is a story about unreasonable excuses. This reminds us of people who have been invited into the grace of God by the grace of God to taste and see that the Lord is good. 
been invited to the banquet table to feast on the grace and the mercy and the love and the forgiveness of Jesus that he offers you. And yet with an ungrateful heart, we make lame excuses. Um, Jesus will say at the end of this parable, many are called, but few will respond. There's nothing insightful about these excuses that these people make, right? Like it's nothing earth shattering. I got a new farm, a piece of a farm equipment. I got to go check it out. I bought a new piece of land. I've got to go see it. That's literally what Luke 14 says. Like, like well, it ain't going nowhere. You can go see it tomorrow, right? Like there's nothing, there's nothing um, catastrophic about choosing what they chose over choosing Jesus. Just run of the mill excuses. So then Jesus tells this story. The, the story flips, and the king says to the messengers, you know what? Those who were invited who have said no, they're not worthy. I've got a new invite list. Go to the highways and the byways, the streets, the street corners, the business. I want you to invite the lame, the crippled, the blind. Um, when my dad found out he had cancer in 1999, there was a 24-hour period when he went from fairly healthy to having a pain in his back to being told by the doctor that he had cancer to be t being told that he had 24 hours to live. And so when we sat in the room with the doctor, there were two questions that we immediately asked. Number one, is there a cure? Number two, how long does he have to live? Um, you know, the, the people who know that they have a need, those of us who know that we have a need run to the source of that provision. But those of us who have accumulations, those of us who have things that are distractions, those of us put our needs at bay and our excuses are plenty. And Jesus is saying, at some point, I keep inviting you. At some point, I've continued to extend an invitation and you continue to say no. But there are people who understand that they have need and that there is only one place to run to. I believe this. Oftentimes we pacify and medicate our lives with more stuff and costly experiences. And it's only when we arrive at the place where we realize that we have a need that Jesus can only meet. I'm going to tell you, when life falls apart, and some of you have experienced that recently. I was with a good friend of mine this week in his home talking about the difficulty of life after his father passing. Look, when you, when you get in those moments, like there's nowhere else to go. There's nothing else to say. I know I have a need. It's in that moment that we see the beautiful invitation that Jesus has made. This is a story about unreasonable excuses. So the kingdom of God is extended to the lame, the poor, the blind, those who know that they have a need, the crippled. Why? The kingdom of God is for such of these. Why? Because they know they have a need. They know they have a need and that nothing they can bring, nothing they can offer God, only what he can offer them and the need that he is meeting in their life. So here's what the second half of this story is about. It's about surrendering those arguments that we think are plausible Surrendering those arguments that we think are plausible because we think the kingdom of God is inconvenient. Listen to me this morning. I love you, and I love you with compassion and passion. There are no plausible arguments for refusing Jesus. There are no plausible arguments for refusing Jesus. They're all lame excuses. They're all lame excuses. And then there's a final twist to the story, starting in verse 11. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man who was there, and he was not dressed in wedding clothes. And 
He said to them, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless, verse 13. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness, into that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 14, for many are called, but few are chosen. The last section of this parable is, about, is a story about wasted opportunities. It's a story about wasted opportunities. So this is the story of a God who makes a generous offer to you a new way of living, and yet we squander and waste the opportunity that God has made. Now, this seems like a difficult saying that Jesus has. By the way, um, I oftentimes like reading and especially preaching from other passages of Scripture other than the red letters, because when you really get down to it and you read the words that Jesus says, there's some hard sayings here. There's some difficult things that Jesus poses to us. So don't read into this too much, but but here's the basis of what Jesus is saying. Here's the gist of it. Here's the bottom line. The point is that there's not going to be anybody in heaven who got there by mistake. Right? Like, 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 like you didn't just slip in. You didn't sneak in. There's only one way to receive the invitation, and that's to, as that's to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ and what he offers us. I fully believe there's going to be those who we consider bad. I fully believe those, there are going to be those who we consider good who will populate and inhabit heaven. Um, but the only way they do so will be because they've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ alone. So what are the wasted opportunities that God poses to us? Wasted opportunities in the kingdom of God are just, they're the occasions that God offers to meet our greatest needs. And oftentimes we, we waste them. The invitation that God makes to fellowship with other believers. The invitation to intimacy in the quiet hours of the day. The invitation to participate in the mission of God. Those are the opportunities that God extends to us. And Jesus says, be careful. Be careful that you don't waste the opportunity that I'm giving you. And oftentimes we don't see it as an opportunity. We see it as a time waster. We see it as a career killer. We see it as an occasion to, to make more of something other than ourselves. And yet God is saying to you this morning, actually those opportunities for fellowship, intimacy with me, participating in the mission of God, those are actually opportunities for me to meet your greatest need. <laughs> when my dad passed away, in 1999 when my dad passed away um, the opportunities were uh, they, 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 they just came frequently and I delayed in those opportunities because I was mad at God <laughs> I didn't understand why I never asked why until my dad died and then I began to ask why why, why God and as I look back over the, the course of that season of my life, I remember, I, I, I can recognize now the opportunities that God placed for fellowship. I, I dropped out of school for a semester when I was in college. And God provided people and friends and conversations, intimacy with him. I'm reminded that when God called Moses, when God called Moses to follow him and lead his people, you remember when God called him? Do you remember? When did he call him? He's out in the field, nobody but himself, and a bunch of sheep, and time by himself. 
And I believe God will continue to speak to you when he has your attention. But listen to me. Don't waste those opportunities. Don't waste the opportunities that God has given you because those are the moments that God desires to meet your greatest needs. Um, several years ago, before I ever moved to L.A., um, I, I came out with a few, a, a few friends. I was invited to a screening for a new movie, and they, they put us up in the Beverly Hilton. <laughs> and um, I'm just a pretty simple guy from back south. And, and um, I showed up at the Beverly Hilton, and we did in the movie screening, and it was kind of fun. And then one night we were there at the Beverly Hilton, these cars started arriving. <laughs> And uh, they were cars like I'd never seen before. And hardly any of them had American license plates. They were imported cars. They were crazy expensive. And there were more of them than I'd ever seen in my life. And I'm walking around in the classic tourist regalia, like T-shirt and shorts. And there's people that begin walking through the, lo the lobby in these evening gowns and these tuxedos that you don't rent from men's warehouse. and. I'm in this shorts and t-shirt. I'm clearly out of place. <laughs> and so my buddy Brian and I follow the music. And we get to this banquet hall and we open the door and the music is thumping like it's kicking. Like young Jeezy kicking, but it's like the Persian version. It was a Persian wedding. It was, it was, it was bumping. And so we open up this door and there had to have been a thousand people in the room. Everybody in these fancy tuxedos evening gowns so in the room there's this platform these like almost like a runway and the bride and the groom are on the runway and they're dancing I hope that's Jesus all right and the bride and the groom are dancing and it's crazy like people are I mean just everybody, everybody's got a cold beverage I'm sure it was Dr. Pepper um that's a sober man's Miller High Life. And so, so every, I mean, it's just going nuts, man. And, and, and so we got this door and we're just enjoying the scenery. It's, I mean, I've never seen anything like this. T-shirt, shorts. And this guy turns around, black tuxedo, and he sees my buddy and I there. And he, he's not like run speed walking, but he's walking briskly to us. And he's like, you guys can't be in here. They're like, no, no, it's, it's, all, it's good, man. And by the way, my Buddy Brian said, it's, it, this, is a, this is an amazing reception. And the guy's like, no, 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 this, this is just a warm-up. <laughs> so we come out of the banquet room, and we go around to another room, a room that I now know is where they host the Golden Globes. They're at the Beverly Hilton. And this room is just decorated in an unbelievable way, like a, like a meal fit for a king decorations you can't get at Hobby Lobby they're hanging from the chandeliers on the tables like you this wasn't homemade wedding this was like this was this was made for TV wedding here I am in shorts and t-shirt uh, and I'd heard about million dollar weddings before like this was multi 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 million dollar wedding like I got heard of those and here I am watching this whole thing unfold and, and I'm wondering in my mind what would it be like to, to be invited to this Yet the king of heaven, the scripture says, the hearts of the kings, they melt in the hands of God. 
I mean, like the invitation to the White House is nothing compared to the invitation that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords extends to you today. And he's saying, don't squander this opportunity. I, I know, I know you, don't, you don't fully have this sense of what I'm inviting you into, but this is not the potluck. This is not the family dinner. This is a meal. This is a banquet. This is an invitation that's fit for a king. And I've prepared it for you. This is not a Campbell's soup for the soul dinner. And to think the God of the universe who knows everyone in this room, let's be personal, by name. By the way, he knows your deepest, darkest failures. You don't have to look down at your feet. You don't have to look away. He knows your deepest, darkest secrets, your deepest, darkest failures. The God of the universe, that God, says, I'm, I want to invite you in. I've prepared a place for you. This table is a table that's welcome for you. <laughs> People reject the gospel because we just can't perceive the reality of the kingdom that God is offering. Ray Ortland says, God doesn't merely remove our defect. He restores us to something better. He not only takes away our problem, but he also does us good. And Jared Wilson says, God's invitation to us is an abundant life. And yet Christ does not call us to deny good things, only to put him above them. When we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, we find he has prepared a place for us and a feast in that place and a multiple multitude of joys around the banquet table that make the treasures of this world pale. Christ is making an invitation that will satisfy forever and ever. And he's asking you this morning, if you'll just pull up a table, taste and see that he is good. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to take communion together here. I don't know how you came in this morning, but I'm glad you're here. I believe the God of heaven is infinitely more excited that you would read his word this morning and you would hear his text. Just imagine the God of heaven came down to earth. He clothed himself in flesh, the flesh of humanity. And he told the story, and this was the story that he told, as if Jesus was standing before you today telling you this parable. And he's pointing to a greater reality. And he's saying, would you join me? I've got a table prepared for you. I know you. I know you intimately. And in spite of that, I still love you deeply. I don't know if you've ever given your life to Christ. I don't know if you've ever trusted Jesus with salvation. Essentially, that's an exchange that the scripture describes as a moment where we recognize and say the same thing about who we really are, that God says we really are, and that is we have disappointed God through our sin, and that sounds damning, and that sounds depressing until we know the totality of scripture that says God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. And if we would confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead, not that we can be, ought to be, might be, but that we will be saved. God would take something that is 
is not and he will make something that is. John 1.12 says if we come to that point where we confess our sins to Jesus and ask for forgiveness and ask him for a relationship and desire that we would turn our lives and our eyes to Jesus and walk with him the rest of the days of our life. John 1.12 says he gave those the right to become a child of God. Maybe this morning you need to become a child of God. There's nothing magical or mystical about it. We're not going to make you stand on the stage, say anything you don't want to say. We're not going to embarrass you, make you do anything you don't want to do. That's your desire to pray and confess your sins to Jesus and be saved this morning. We're going to sing a song and take communion. And in this moment, that's a moment for you to do business with God. And you have an honest, genuine moment where you say to God, God, I know that I've sinned against you. I know that you love me and that you will forgive me because of not what I've done, but what Jesus has done. And so, Jesus, I desire to walk with you the rest of the days of my life. If that's you, I pray that you would do that in your seat right where you are this morning. When you have, after the service, there's a table out there that says first steps. Would you stop by that table and tell one of our our volunteers out there, I prayed that prayer with Pastor Matt this morning. We're not going to embarrass you, make you do anything you don't want to do. We're going to help you walk with God. That's simply what we're going to do. Begin this journey. Because we believe walking with Christ is not a solo flight, it's a community journey. Now, last thing, and then we're going to take communion together. Maybe you're a believer this morning. And maybe, just maybe, you have resisted and refused the invitations that Jesus continually makes to you. I'm talking to you, Christian, you who have confessed your sins and have been saved. I'm talking refusing and wasting the opportunities God has given for fellowship and intimacy and being a part of the mission that he's given the church. I beg you in Jesus' name, don't refuse it anymore. There's not a plausible excuse. You have none. The cares of the world pale in comparison to what Jesus is offering you today. So before you come and take communion, by the way, communion this morning is reserved for those who have a relationship with Jesus. If that's not you this morning, we love you. You can sit in your seat and pray and you can sing with us. The scripture tells us that we should guard our hearts and minds and know that we have confessed our sin before we take of the body and the blood of Jesus and remember what Christ has done for us. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your words this morning. As if you were standing here and you were speaking directly to us. These are the red letters. These are the words you shared. And God, may we take that sincerely. Now that the word of God has divided our hearts, they're laid open and bare before you with whom we have to live. God, may we not turn from the word that you have spoken by the spirit of the living God to each of us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. There are two tables down front. There's one table up back that's gluten-free. We're taking care of all of your reasons. We're going to sing a song and feel free to come down and take communion this morning.